We wrapped up our series uh, last month with this series called Life with God, and our series in Advent we're calling God with Us. Uh, as we've done, we're doing life with God. He is with us, and uh, we're going to be uh, looking at our God, Emmanuel, this morning. My son Cal uh, was pretty fascinated with these uh, illustrated books uh, by Martin Hanman. Uh, these double illustrated books with uh, with double pages of these chaotic scenes, and in uh, hidden in this chaos of the scene was a guy named Waldo. Uh, if, you, if you didn't uh, know, have these books, it, here's Waldo, kind of candy-striped sweater, the cane, the bobble hat. And, uh, and in, uh, in these books that, that, that Hanman had illustrated, he sort of embeds Waldo in the scene, like this scene right here. And, uh, and it's actually, uh, you think it'd be easy to find him, but uh, there's red and white striped stuff everywhere. People wearing hats, and it's, it's kind of, it kind of is deceiving at times, a bit of a red herring. And uh, my son Cal could flip a page, and he could spot Waldo like that where I would look and I would just scour the page looking for Waldo and uh, really struggle uh, to find him. In fact, in my mind, what I was doing was creating quadrants, drawing some vertical lines, horizontal lines, and sort of working my way very systematically across this page until I could find Waldo. And then finally I'd find him, or finally I'd ask Cal where he was and, uh, and, and we'd be able to uh, enjoy seeing him in the scene. Now, some of you, you will not be able to listen to another word I say this morning until you find Waldo. All right, it's a little easier on the big screen, but it's right over up, up top left, kind of left center. Uh, you'll find Waldo there. So now it's all resolved and you can move forward uh, this morning. But when we talk about, about uh, the God who is with us, when this morning we talk about Emmanuel, the reality is, is that the double-page chaotic scenes of our lives can sometimes lead us to this point where we ask the question, and not the question, where's Waldo, but we're asking, where's God? Where's, where, I mean, the Emmanuel reality sometimes is hard to embrace, we, we find we hit places of chaos, we have uh, seasons of disappointment, we experience pain. I mean, maybe you're here today, you've always been a hard worker, diligent worker, you, you've, you've held jobs, um, but you got laid off and you've been applying for a, another job and you've got interviews, but you're never getting a second interview. And in fact, you've been unemployed for a while and, and you're wondering, where's God? What, what, what's going on here? Or maybe you're here today and you grew up and you had this dream of being married and having a family and, um, and, 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 and it hasn't happened yet. In fact, you're getting invited to other people's weddings and, uh, and you're going there and you're wondering if, if Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright is ever going to come along. Will you ever have kids? Will you ever have someone, someone love you like you dreamt that they would? Or maybe you're here today and you did have the fairy tale wedding and uh, then the point came where the, the papers were filed and the divorce was finalized. And you're wondering what happened. What, what just happened? Where, where's God? Maybe you're here today and uh, you're, you're a student and your parents have told you that you're moving and you know all your friends are here, but you're going to get moved and you're going to have to go to a new middle school, new high school. And that thought is just, just for you is chaos and you're just wondering, how am I, I going to go forward in life? I mean, I'm not going to have any friends. And, and that has got you asking the question, where is God? Or maybe it's a diagnosis. We, here's the reality. is it, it, The deal is that, that if you haven't already, 
You will come to a point in your life where you hit something and it's, it's a dry spell or it's a tough circumstance, it's a loss, it's a disappointment, and you start to ask the question, where's God? In fact, you even begin to wonder if God's punishing you because things aren't going well or maybe God's mad at you or worse yet, God is, has abandoned you and other people, they seem to see God all the time, their prayers are answered all the time and they share these wonderful moments they have with God, yet for you, God seems distant. God seems like this double-paged illustration of chaos, and you're wondering where he is. And you're hearing a guy up in a platform saying, God is with us, and you're going, well, maybe for you. But I, I can't seem to get my arms around that reality. What do you do when God does not appear to be present in your life? What do you do when you hear the word Emmanuel, God with us, and you enter into a season like Christmas and you're going, oh no, here we go again. This season where everyone's singing joy of the world and they're happy and yet this, is, this just highlights my disappointment, my hurt, my pain. What do you do when God doesn't seem to be present? I want to try and answer that question by looking at a passage in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7. It, it's, a, it's a chapter in the Bible where this name Emmanuel appears for the very first time. And I'm going to read uh, 14 verses from that chapter here in a moment. So if you want to get there, I'll be reading from the, uh, this, this Bible's in the P-Rack in front of you, page 1081. You'll find that, uh, that page I'm going to be reading. Uh, but before I read a, a little snapshot of a story, I want to give you a little historical context so you understand the setting for, uh, for what's happening here. Um, uh, and on, the, on the screen here is a little map. Assyria, it was the superpower of the day. Assyria is where modern-day Iraq and Iran is at. They were the superpower of the day, and another superpower is Egypt. And what they want to do is they're going to come swinging down Assyria, is, and they're going to attack Egypt. And they're not going to go through the Saudi Arabia Peninsula there because that's hot, a lot of sand, and they won't survive there. So they're going to swing over by the Mediterranean coast and come down and attack Egypt. But in order to do that, what they're going to have to do is hit some countries along the way and conquer them. The first one is Syria, where modern-day Syria is today. And the second one will be Israel. Now, Israel at this time is divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is called Israel, southern kingdom called Judah. And Judah actually is parked a little bit uh, uh, east of, of the coast there. So Assyria is going to attack Syria and Israel and, and, and probably bypass Judah and then attack Egypt and conquer that superpower. So what happens is Syria and Israel form an alliance. And then they invite Judah into their alliance so they can stand up to Assyria and not be conquered. But when they try and form this trifecta of an alliance, Judah turns them down. In fact, as you get going moving through Isaiah, what ends up happening is Judah backdoors them and actually goes up to Assyria and makes an alliance with them. Well, that ticks off the king of Israel and the king of Syria, and so what they do is they are going to attack Judah. And that's the context. So as we read these first 14 verses, you're gonna hear about a king named Ahaz. He's the king of Judah. You're gonna hear about some other kings, that's Syria and Israel, and you're gonna see Ahaz trembling in fear of this impending attack from Syria and Israel. And then God is gonna give them a sign, the sign of 
Emmanuel, God is with you. Would you stand as I read these 14 verses? Uh, if you don't got a Bible, just follow, follow along, listen along. Isaiah 7, verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, and grandson of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, set out to attack Jerusalem. However, they were unable to carry out their plan. The news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear, like trees shaking in a storm. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Take your son, Shear Jasub, and go out to meet King Ahaz. You will find him at the end of the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool, near the road leading to the field where cloth is washed. Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned-out embers, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah son of Remaliah. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying, We will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves. Then we will install the son of Tabil as Judah's king. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. For Syria is no stronger than its capital, Damascus, and Damascus is no stronger than its king, Rezin. As for Israel, within 65 years, it will be crushed and completely destroyed. Israel is no stronger than its capital, Samaria, and Samaria is no stronger than its king, Pekah, son of Remaliah. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. Later, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. But the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Then Isaiah said, listen, well, you royal family of David, isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And this is God's holy word. You can be seated. My other son, his name is Chase. He played, uh, he played baseball when he was like fifth or sixth grade. And one, uh, one spring uh, afternoon, late evening, um, I, I took my son Chase uh, to baseball practice. It was before uh, daylight savings. And so... Uh, it got dark a little bit earlier, and I, I thought practice ended at 6. It actually ended at 5.30. I dropped Chase off at the field uh, at the right time, but then when I came to this actually big complex of fields uh, in Kelso, Washington, where we, where we lived at the time, and, uh, and I, I pulled up to where I dropped Chase off, and it was dark, and I'm looking out on the baseball fields, and there are no kids um, I get out of my truck, and I'm looking around and wondering, maybe the kids are huddled together in a meeting or something, and as I'm looking, there's, there's no kids, there's no coaches, nothing. So I, I come to the conclusion that, well, they've probably gone to another field on the other side of the complex, so I hop back in my truck, and I drive around to the other side of these, these, these fields, and uh, it takes me about five minutes to get there, and I pull in and uh, get out of my truck, and the, and the fields, again, are dark, there's no lights on, and there's no kids there. So I, I grab my cell phone, I call Trina at home, and I, I figure maybe Chase had forgot that um, I told him I was going to pick him up, and he got a ride home with some other parents. 
uh, and they dropped him off at home, called home, and uh, if you haven't surmised already, Chase is not at the house. Um, so if you're a parent, you know what happens to your, your, your parent alarm. My dad alarm is starting to go off inside because I'm starting to picture these uh, pretty unhealthy scenarios about what's happened to my son, Chase. Uh, I think, well, maybe you know, here's this fifth grade or sixth grade kid who's, who's uh, waiting for his dad and, um, and somebody offers him a ride and kidnaps him. Uh, maybe something horrible has happened and, uh, and I'm, I'm starting, you know, the heart rate is rising, the fear is sort of rising like the tide. Uh, my mind is starting to get very active of some pretty unhealthy scenarios and uh, I'm scouring the fields and as I look about 150 yards away, there's this, these, these fences and there's this, uh, this curb and I see this little figure sitting on the curb sort of hunched over and I think it might be uh, a little kid and so I start moving pretty quickly over to where that curb is and where that, that, uh, that hunched over figure is and as I get closer, I can see that that little figure is indeed a, a, a kid and, and he's shaking uh, and he's shaking uncontrollably and as I get even closer, um, it, it, I recognize it's my son and he is sitting on that curb in the dark all alone, convulsing and shaking and crying um, and as I come up to him, call his name and wrap my arms around him, he is really mad at me. Um, which if, if you know my son Chase, you, you would understand that reaction. He's glad, he's glad his dad there, but he's angry because what he has done, uh, as I've been driving all around and scouring these fields looking for him, he's been sitting on that at curb coming to, the, to some conclusions in his own mind, some unhealthy scenarios in his own mind about where his dad is. Uh, he, he, he figured maybe that, that, uh, that his parents just forgot him and they didn't miss him. Or... That uh, he, as, as fear elevated, he got to this point where he figured his, uh, his mom and dad didn't want him anymore. Or that while he was at baseball practice, mom and dad filed for divorce and got divorced and were separated. Um, and, uh, and, you know, he, had, he concocted all these unhealthy scenarios. And little did he know, I was driving all around, scrambling around, trying to find my son. And isn't that the case with us? When we get ourselves in these circumstances where we wonder, where is God? I, I, is this supposed to be happening? Why is this happening? I thought if I follow God, this stuff wouldn't happen. How, how did he let the, where is God? And we begin to create some pretty unhealthy scenarios in our heads. God's punishing me. God's abandoned me. Uh, he, he's distancing himself uh, from me. And, and the reality is that it, it's not the case because he's Emmanuel. In fact, in this story in Isaiah chapter 7, we have King Ahaz, who's pretty petrified because it's two against one. We got two kings who are going to attack Judah, and, and the scriptures here tell us that his, he is shaking like a tree in the wind. Picture Hurricane Sandy, picture the wind blowing very fiercely, and the, the, the tree is shaking, the roots are getting loose, and that's what's happening internally within King Ahaz as he's about to be attacked and overcome. He is picturing worst-case scenario, just like you and I do when we find ourselves in situations of loss, disappointment, you know, discouragement. Where is God? God sends Isaiah to uh, King Ahaz and says to him, Stop worrying and do not be afraid. Maybe that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you today. Stop worrying. Do not be afraid. 
And I think as Ahaz heard these words from Isaiah, and as you heard me speak these words to you today, stop worrying, don't be afraid, immediately something rises up within us because there's this tension in our souls. The tension in our souls, I think, is captured well here in this story. The first tension is is simply this. It's the tension of the visible reality versus the invisible reality. Look, stop worrying. Don't be afraid. Let me just pull the drapes here for a moment, pull the blinds up, and let you see what I'm seeing. Because the bills are not being paid. That son or that daughter that I raised in Sunday school and and prayed with and they gave their life to Christ is now living their life. They don't want anything to do with God. This relationship is falling apart. Do you see what I'm seeing? Because this, this is painful, this is disappointing, and this is discouraging. The tension of what's happening out here versus the invisible reality of what we're being told, what we know, Emmanuel, God is with us, is a real tension. And I think that's what King Ahaz is feeling. It's two against one, I'm outnumbered. Yet what Isaiah says, stop worrying, don't be afraid, he's speaking to the reality of this tension and he's saying things aren't as they appear. Things aren't as they appear. The windshield of your life may be splattered with bugs and junk and dust and dirt of your circumstances. Things aren't as they seem. And the reality is is we can get pretty focused on our visible realities and forget that he's with us. It doesn't mean we won't go through pain. It doesn't mean that we won't have relational or financial difficulties. What it means is God is still with us. He's still Emmanuel. And that's the first tension I think Ahaz feels. I think it's a tension we feel. The second tension is simply this. It's the tension of the word of men versus the word of God. You see, we find ourselves in circumstances that are difficult. We have a lot of people giving us counsel and advice, saying this is how you handle it. They are the Oprahs and the Dr. Phil's of our lives. All right? This, look, when you're in this situation, this is what you do. You, you, don't, you don't wait upon the Lord. You don't love your enemies. You don't give. You don't forgive. This is what you need to do. And it's, it's this wisdom, the common philosophy or wisdom of the day versus the wisdom of God. And we feel the tension of it. We find ourselves in a situation where the, the chaos of our lives makes it difficult to see where God is. I think that that's the chaos. I think that's the picture that's in front of King Ahaz. I think oftentimes that's the tension that's in front of us. My visible reality versus the invisible reality. The word of men versus the word of God. And so what Isaiah says to King Ahaz is simply this. You find it in the the, the second half of verse 9. I think it's the heart of the, the whole book of Isaiah It's simply this, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Look, you are in a dangerous situation. You're about to be attacked. And if you you don't believe, if you don't stop worrying, if you don't just set aside fear, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And I'm not saying that's easy. But what Isaiah is saying to King Ahaz is, Stand firm in your faith. He is Emmanuel. He is with you in the good and in the bad. 
He isn't punishing you. He hasn't forgotten you. He's not abandoning you. And you must stand firm in your faith or you will not stand at all. And that's what, in fact, God is so gracious that he ends up saying to King Ahaz, ask for a sign. And there's that little story there, you know, I don't want to test God. He's just being pious because um, as you get going through Isaiah, you realize he doesn't want to obey God anyways. And, and so what ends up happening is Isaiah gives him a sign and says, here's your sign, Emmanuel. He's with you. God is with you. Several years ago, Trina and I had the privilege, we were headed to the Middle East to, to uh, minister with our Middle East partners and um, like Rob and Jess, and we, we stopped in Rome on the way, and we had a chance to go to the Vatican and see the Sistine Chapel and saw the paintings of Michelangelo there in the ceilings and uh, pretty, pretty amazing. This, this painting here is pretty iconic in the Sistine Chapel. Uh, you, as you look at that, you may be going, well, that's not quite how I remember it. Um, we just thought maybe Adam needed some pants on a big screen like this. Um, I don't know, they're blue jeans or blue pajamas, but uh, we were doing tech rehearsal. I was like, oh my, yeah, let's clothe him. Uh, anyhow, that aside, it's a pretty iconic image. And as you, as you look at this, this painting, what you see in it is a God who is straining it appears he's straining every muscle to reach out and touch Adam. I mean, he's leaning, he's straining, and his fingers stretched out. Yet, for some reason, Michelangelo has painted Adam as this pretty relaxed pose. He's not, it doesn't appear he's that interested, but he's got his hand stretched out. Yet, God is, is straining to touch Adam. John Orberg, in his book, God is Closer Than You Think, um, tells a story of being on an airplane and uh, sitting next to this guy who has his laptop open, and on his laptop is his desktop picture of a, of a little boy. And so Orberg uh, asked the question, is, who's, the, who's the little kid? Is, is this your son? And this, this dad says, yes, is this my son? His, son, his son's name happens, happens to be Adam. And, uh, and he just starts gushing uh, with, with, with just describing who Adam is and how much he misses Adam and uh, what a cute kid Adam is. And in fact, he opens up you know, albums on his laptop and starts showing more, more pictures of his son Adam as he's growing up and just oh, look how cute he is. And Ortberg says in his book that you know, after an hour in the study of etymology, uh, that, that people on the plane are like, okay, enough already, enough about your son Adam. And, and Ortberg ends up going and saying to him, well, you... You know, you must, you just must miss your son so much. You must have been apart from him for so long. How long have you, how long has it been since you've seen your son, Adam? And the dad says, well, yesterday. I, I saw him yesterday. And then he says, if an earthly dad could gush that much over a child that he's only been apart from for one day, just think of how much your heavenly father gushes over you and wants and longs to be with you. I mean, imagine what if your picture is on God's desktop? 
What if when someone's sitting next to him, say, oh, you know, who's that? Oh, that's, that, 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 that's this person. Oh, that's her. That's him. Oh, let me just tell you, you should have seen what they did yesterday. It was incredible. You should, you should see their heart. What if that is God? What if he is gushing over you? Because he longs to be with you. In fact, if you just zoom in on those hands, just look how close, how close he is as he strains to be with you. He's Emmanuel. He is God with us. Orper goes on to say in that same book, he says, the story of Christmas is not about people wanting to be with God. It's about God's great desire to be with you, with us. In fact, I would go on to say the story of the scriptures is not about a people longing to be with God. It's a story about a God who strains each and every muscle and longs to be with you. And if we were to play football analyst, John Madden-like, and take that picture, circle it, draw an arrow in there, and say, look at this. And what if this Advent season, this Christmas season, you walked out of here today and you truly believed that Emmanuel, God, longs to be with you. If you truly believe that he wasn't just with us, he is here. And he sees your pain. He knows your disappointment. He sees the need. And he's not punishing you. He hasn't rejected you. It's hard to see him in the chaos of this double-paged mess. And you're looking for him. He's Emmanuel. And what we're going to discover together in the weeks ahead, and by the way, uh, our former lead pastor, John Stumble, will be here next week. He'll, he'll be speaking on Wonderful Counselor. Uh, and as Wonderful Counselor, he is the God who plans in perfect wisdom. Your life is not an accident. Your life is all part of his design and his plan. His purpose for you. He plans in perfect wisdom as wonderful counselor. As mighty God, he has the power to execute his wise plan. As everlasting father, he is a dad. And unlike earthly leaders or earthly kings, as everlasting father, he executes his wise plan and it never comes at the expense of people. Because he's prince of peace, the result is always wholeness. His wise plan for you, even in the midst of the chaos, is that as a dad, you would be healed, you would be made whole, that you would have peace. Shalom. What do we do when God doesn't appear to be present? We deal with the, the tension of the visible versus the invisible reality the word of man, the word of God, we stand firm in faith, knowing he is Emmanuel. And he loves to be with you. He is with you.